Let me invite you to give attention now to that which is inspired, infallible. The very mind of God is black words on a white page. God's word. Ephesians chapter 5. You follow in your copies as I read beginning at verse 25. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. As promised, we come today to look at the, at the biblical assignment that is given to husbands in marriage by the New Testament. Now, um, let, let me remind you that this is my Father's Day sermon a month early. It just seemed like a better plan, instead of waiting until Father's Day to do this, to put these two things side by side. That is, as we've addressed for a couple of weeks, the role role assigned to wives, it just seemed reasonable to go ahead and do that now. And so when we come to Father's Day, don't look for a Father's Day sermon. I, I won't have one. This is it. This is the one that I planned for, for that day. Guys, if you have been a part of Grace Evan for very long, you have probably heard me say all of what I'm about to say before. But um, based on the kind of the kind of marital counseling that I do, apparently I'm not saying it very well. Either either I'm not saying it very well, which is a distinct possibility, or or you're not listening very well. You know, here's what I find. That when the situation gets bad enough, so that one of the partners says something like this. When it finally comes to the place where one of the partners looks at the other and says, I want a divorce. Or, I think you should move out. 
At that moment, an amazing thing happens. People start to listen better. I wonder why that is. We know why that is, don't we? Pain has a way of, of unclogging your ears, doesn't it? It, it, um, it makes us, it's, uh, it's, it arouses just about all of the senses. Pain does. Un- unfortunately, in, in many instances, by that time, the damage that has been done is too deep. And listening at that moment is too late. So, I've got a suggestion for us. I want to say this all over again. And I'm going to try to do better. And, um, And you try to listen better. Because, folks, there is a lot at stake. A lot at stake. And every time I go through another... I mean, it's not that I go through, but I, I, I watch another divorce unfold. I think, what can we do to help people avoid that pain? So, brothers, <clears throat> here it is. Here's the, uh, the assignment given to us by the New Testament. By the God of the New Testament. And he puts it like this. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Now before we dive into that. um, Let me just. Let me just make a couple of just. Introductory observations. First of all, I hope you'll notice that unlike the assignment given to wives, the assignment given to men comes with an an example, an illustration. Um, And the illustration is, as Christ loved the church. That's the example. We're given a model. We're given an example of how it's to be done. Now, maybe, maybe it's because we men need more detailed instruction than do women. I, I don't know. Maybe that, but if that's so, we got it. We got it. We've got an illustration that we are to use to pattern our love for our wives after. It is Christ's love for the church. Now, you're not, the ladies aren't given that, but we are, gentlemen. We're given an example. The model. We're supposed to study that model and then reproduce that in our marriages as best as as as, as best we can. Okay, that, that's the first thing. Here, here's the second thing. And ladies, you may hate me for saying this. And I um it's just an opinion. You can uh, you can discard it if you like. It's just an opinion. But it's a, it's a, it's a firm lasting commit, uh, opinion that I have, and that is this. Ladies, compared 
to what husbands have been asked to do. What you've been asked to do is easy. You know, every time I preach this, this this business about husbands and loving their wives, men feel so bashed. And um, I, I want to suggest to you, brothers, that the reason that we feel so bashed is because of the enormity of the responsibility, the enormity of the assignment, the enormity of the role that we are to play in the home. I am not here, I have no right to bash anybody just because I occupy a pulpit. Uh, I, I fail as often and as egregiously as anyone here. I am as broken as anybody else. But the reason, brothers, we feel bashed, and, and by the way, it is not my intent to, 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 to communicate one smidgen of bashing. But the reason that we feel bashed is because of the enormity of this thing. Loving our wives as Christ loved the church. It's enormous. And I am not here to bash you. That's not my goal. But my goal is to try and faithfully unpack a command, not an invitation, not an option, not a suggestion, a command. A command that is given to us as husbands. So, brother, just know this, that... If you, if you walk out of here this morning with a, oh, that was, I have sought all week to take any of that out of what I say. But it's going to happen nonetheless because of the enormity of what God is asking of us as husbands. Okay, so brothers. What does our assignment entail? That is, what features of Christ's love for his bride are to be replicated in our love for our brides? Um, what is it, what things can we learn about his love for his bride, the church? That I'm supposed to model to my bride. I, I've only got three little things here for you, brothers. And we're really just going to scratch the surface. Because, uh, you know, you're talking about Jesus' love for the church. I mean, <laughs> that's a pretty large subject. But we, uh, I've got three things. Three things that I want to draw your attention to. That is, things that, that I think need to be replicated in our marriages. So, stay with me. Here's the first one. My love for my wife is to precede her submission. My love for my bride, my wife, is to precede her submission. Now let me explain. Brothers, tell me. 
When did Jesus love you? Before you submitted to him or after? Before. That's the right answer. And very honestly, folks, Jesus Christ loved us from all eternity. But Jesus loved me long before I ever submitted to him. Right? Pretty elementary. Okay, so his love for me produced my eagerness to yield to his headship. Right? Okay? Then if my love for my wife is to look like his love for me, then tell me, whose assignment comes first? Whose assignment elicits the other? What assignment, when properly performed, gives rise to the other assignment? Which comes first? Love comes first. Ours, my, my responsibility comes first. I love my bride into submission. Like Jesus did. Like he loved me into submission. And, and his love for me took him to a cross. Now, guys, let, let me tease that out just a little bit because I, I think it's just imperative that we understand that as, as, as husbands. First of all, I love to say what I'm about to say. I say at every wedding, I, I love to say this. I'm, I'm maybe if you've ever done, you know, it amazes me. I, I did a wedding last Saturday night, uh, not last night, but eight days ago. And people come to me in the reception. They say, we've never seen you done. A, we've never seen you do a, a wedding. I, if you've never seen me do a wedding, I mean, you haven't missed anything. But I just want you to know, I always say this. I always say this. I love to say it. I say this. Never, ever have I ever met a woman who ever complained about submitting to a man who adored her. I've never met a woman, not the first one, who's ever balked at yielding and submitting to a man who adored her. Now, brothers, you can dismiss that. You can poo-poo that. But here's here's the suggestion. Go ask any woman. Go ask any woman. Can I, can I tell you this story? I've told this story before too, but um, it, it had such a profound impact on me. It was years ago, back when I was, I mean, before Grace Man started, I was still working at Central. And I had a secretary and my wife in her one of her roles that she plays for me had found me um, a Christmas present um, that I could give to my secretary. And so there were about three women in my life other than my wife. And, and Susie knew all about this, um, um, that I needed to give Christmas presents to. My secretary, yeah, did, 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 you know, whatever. And so uh, it was a little, it was a little bow. It was a little uh, silver, bo- silver plate. I mean, I don't do the real thing, but a little silver, a little pin for a woman, I guess, and she stuck it right there. I guess I don't know. Anyway, and so I, I went over to this, 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 this store over. It's gone now. It's, it's behind P.F. Chang's. When they, you remember when they have, um, is it P.F. Chang's? Um, th- there used to be a little shopping center back there. Um, uh, anyway, and I went into this store. Susie had found the thing, and so I went in there, and there it was. She told me exactly what to buy, and it wasn't that expensive. And and there it was, right there. I picked it out, and I said, and I turned to the lady. This little foxy chick came, comes up to wait on me, 
And, um, I mean, she's young and I'm old and, and, uh, she just, she's just cute as she could be. And, and, um, and I said, she said, could I help you? And I said, well, sure. I mean, I'd like, I'd like to have, um, that's what I'm interested in. And she said, well, fine, I'll get it right. I said, and I need three of them. And she said, <laughs> quite a ladies man you are. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm a one woman man. And she looked at me and said, that sounds so beautiful. And she called to her partner that was working in the store. Hey, come here. Let me tell you what this guy just said. Gentlemen, you can poo-poo that if you like. You can dismiss it as pulpiteering. All I'm asking you is just go ask a woman. Never, never have I ever met a woman who complained about yielding to a man who adored her. Now, secondly, um... Well, that's that's all well and good, Doctor Young. Uh, you know, I um, I um, I kind of agree with uh, what you what you're um, what you're saying there um, um, about loving precedes submission. I I, I kind of agree with that. Um, at, at least I, at least in theory. But you got to understand, Doctor Young. I'm married to a most difficult woman. I am married to a woman who absolutely refuses to submit. Okay, first may I say, ladies, if that is true of you, then you're in sin. It's sin. There's no excuses. Can't blame it on PMS. You're in sin. That's sin. But, having said that, gentlemen, um, if you or I, and you're in some kind of counseling setting, how would you handle that statement? That is, I'm married to a woman who absolutely... How, how, would you, well, how would you handle that? Well, I don't know whether this is the best way to handle it, but this is the way I handle it. And just, just walk with me for a minute, real quick. Um, I, I, I start out by saying this. Well, tell me this, uh, if that's true of, of your, your marriage. Tell me this. Um, <clears throat> did anybody force you to marry this woman? I mean, were you coerced? Um, were you, were you made, was this some, some kind of arranged marriage or did you do it of your own volition? Well, um, you know, I, um, I, um, I, um, I married her. I married her. I chose to marry her. And, um, you married her in the face of all of these character flaws that you just mentioned. Is that right? Well, yeah, but you know, um, I, I couldn't see those character flaws when we were dating. Well, okay, that's a that's a point made, but um, so let me ask you this: Where would you say your marriage began to go south? Was it over her character flaws, or was it your refusal to play the role that you've been assigned? Now, remember, we're supposed to love first. Now, brothers. I think you'd have an awfully tough time convincing me 
that the marriage went south because your wife had character flaws. Could that happen? I suppose it could. I, I, I guess there's some demonette out there somewhere. But what you're saying to me is that she was so flawed as a person that no amount of love from you would heal those flaws. That her flaws were so deep, so life-controlling, that nothing you could do could heal or could help. You know, um, I'm always... I'm always uh, stunned by somebody saying something like that to me. That is that they're, you know, I, I didn't see these things and they're so deep. And, and I, and I want to say, well, how could you not see some of this? And I think that, that one of the reasons that, that character flaws go undetected is that both of us, both parties, are in such a hurry to enjoy the privileges of marriage that we, that we ignore or that we're blind to them. But brothers, do you see how difficult this is to try and find blame or to try and fix blame? You know, to, to dig down far enough so that we can, we can figure out who's to blame. Why don't we just skip all that? Skip all that, that trying to find the one to blame and concentrate on begging God to assist me in doing the job duty that he, or the assignment that he has, he has given me. Why don't we simply just confess our sins as husbands and ask for a fresh supply of grace so that we can get back to the task that he's assigned to us. Let's just repent and start over. Oh, but Dr. Young. It's not that easy. No, I know it's not easy. And I'm not trying to tell you that it's easy. But let me tell you what's harder. Divorce. So, you can work this out in a courtroom, or you can work it out before God. Your call. You know, um, so it's difficult loving her, is it? Okay, tell me this. How difficult was it for Jesus to love me? Because he's my model. I mean, did he, um, did he, uh, did my sins stop Jesus from loving me? Did he, um, did he, did he give up? I mean, that, that young boy, he's just so far gone. That's enough. That's enough for me, says Jesus. Did he do that? No. And let me remind you, brothers, that, that, uh, his love for us, 
is to be my motive and, and, and my model for loving my wife. And ultimately, his love overcame me and produced a man and, and women who love following after him. Guys, I've said this before, too. Um, uh, it's an old uh, John Wesley. I got this from John Wesley. Um, uh, he's talking about marriage. And John Wesley said, um, if two ride on a horse, one must ride him back. He's describing marriage that way. He's saying, if two ride on a horse, one must ride him back. Now, who is it that rides in the back? That would be my wife. Now, brothers, if that horse ends up in a ditch someplace, to whom would you turn to try and get it out of the ditch? I may be wrong. But it seems to me that you go to the one with the reins in his hands. And that would be us. Um, guys, you might not like that idea. But what is your idea? Is your idea, um, she just needs to go someplace and get fixed. Send her over to Jimmy Elf. Well, you're in big trouble if that's where you're going. I don't know. Or is your, is your idea uh, divorce? Because it seems to me that my idea is better than both of those. Now, that's the first word. That is, that my love is to precede her submission. Here's the second. That is, I'm trying to figure out what parts of Jesus' love am I to replicate in my marriage. Secondly, love is sacrificial. Now, that's not rocket science. Everybody seems to know that. Everybody seems to know that all love is sacrificial. Love always says no, or at least, or no, no, it always does. It always says no to self. So, um... So when it comes to loving my wife, the issue is self. Now, am I willing to reduce my self-centeredness in the interest of my marriage? Or not? Brothers, it's not about hunting. It's not about ESPN. It's not about friends. It's not about money. It's not even about conjugal rights. It's about self. So if I'm not willing to die to some of that, it just means that I don't love her. Because all love is self-renunciating. Um, and Jesus' love took him to a cross. You know, guys, we're all unselfish slobs, all of us. And and I hope that you've noticed my language here. My language is uh, reduce my self-centeredness or die to some of that. The, the battle with self is the central motif in the human dilemma. Guys, the New Testament says if we are to find life, we must lose life. Which allows me to say this. One of the greatest opportunities to hammer at self in me is within the confines of a loving marriage.
I get to work on my lust for self in a, in a relationship with somebody who affirms me and loves me. Self doesn't die all at once, guys. It's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. But I get the, or we get the opportunity to hammer at that blasted thing in the context of safety. In the context of being, of being loved. Ladies, you're selfish too. But brothers, I, I think, I think we would all agree that we out-selfish them, don't we? What, um, what an opportunity marriage affords us to, to work on my soul alongside a co-heir in the grace of life. A lifetime companion. And as self dies, my soul and my marriage get sweeter. Here's my third word, and um, this is the last one. And if some of you are seated out there and you've already put in blank number three, unconditional, then I'm going to disappoint you. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you think that Jesus' love is unconditional, there's something about Jesus' love that you don't understand. Jesus' love is not unconditional to the unbeliever. The condition is faith. He does not, he does not embrace and draw into his family those who refuse the free offer of the gospel and resist his call to repentance and faith. Those are conditions, ladies and gentlemen. Now, having said that, once you enter into the household of faith by receiving Christ, Yes, you can use the word unconditional, but we're not talking about that. Very frankly, I don't want to use the word unconditional. In fact, I want to use a word that is almost the opposite of unconditional. Here's my third word. My, um, my love precedes her submission, sacrificial, and here's the third one, jealous. Jesus Christ has a jealous love for me. Now, that's a dangerous word, particularly to some of you men who, who use that word to describe your behavior, which is nothing more than the outpourings of your own insecurities. Some of what you call jealousy is not jealousy, brothers. It is illness. As you track down your wife and won't let her out of your sight and all that business, it's, it's illness. It's not, it's not beauty. And it's not, and if you think for one second that I am promoting such a thing, I am not. Your wife can't talk to another man because you're so insecure. No, ladies and gentlemen, that's not what I have in mind. But Jesus Christ does have a jealous love for me. He refuses to sit idly by and watch me give my affections to things other than himself. Things that will not satisfy, things that will never fulfill. His love protects me from those kinds of wolves that would consume my life. And gentlemen, 
If you can sit idly by and watch your watch your wife give her affections to things or another man and not get jealous, you just need to understand you don't love her. Our love for our wives must fend off all the other suitors. And could it be, brothers, that the reason that we haven't noticed her giving her affections away is that we're so busy and distracted with all of our other mistresses, like career and hobbies, so so distracted by that, that we don't notice our wives placing their affections on secondary loves. Brothers, Jesus loves only one bride. And my bride is never to wonder how many I love. His love for me is so much better than what other lovers offer me. Why would I ever go after those loves? Why would I ever desire those loves? What I mean, brothers, is that my love for my wife is to make all of those other loves seem meager in comparison. She would never desire those when she can have this. Now, guys, this this can't be easy to listen to. I know it's not easy to listen to, um, at least for any of us husbands. But the motive, the motive, um, according to Ephesians five, is is our ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ for husbands, just as it was for wives. It is it is not because of who she is, but because of who he is to me, that I want to perform my role. I love her, not because of her beauty, but because of his beauty. My love for Susie is to be not Susie referent, but Christ referent. And all of her motives are less than Christian. Guys, um... I readily admit that this is not what the media is telling you. It's not what you're going to be told if you pursue secular therapists. That's not what they're going to prescribe for you. Um, But which of those paths you take? um, This one? Or um, what Dr. Phil can offer you? Your call. Um, I would like to tell you if I have misspoken, if I have said things that are not in accord with God's word, then I hope you'll be able to spot those things and reject them out of hand. But I do want to close by referring to a passage in Proverbs, Proverbs 14. Don't, don't look. Let me just quote it for you and then you can. It's Proverbs 14, 12. It goes like this. There is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is death. 
every other path, every other blueprint for marriage other than this one is a dead end. It seems right to a man. But it's a dead end. And that fact is being played out again and again and again all across the country in courtrooms and in counselors' offices. Because we've chosen the wrong blueprint, ladies and gentlemen. I can only stand here as a representative of Jesus Christ and say to you, you got this, or you got a way that seemeth right unto a man. And the end of that is death, marital death. Father, I do pray that you will use um, not me, not what I've said. These are not of my assignments. They're, they're yours. I pray that my comments about your assignment has been helpful and, and uh, accurate and loyal to the text. And, and where it has not, Lord, would you stop up the ears of those who listen. But where it has been true and accurate and... and um, and biblically sane. I pray that your people will hear it, embrace it, and and set themselves on the course of, of following the path that you've outlined. For us husbands, oh God, I pray that you will forgive us, forgive us of our shortcomings, our failings, even our choosing to defy you. I pray that you will um, have mercy on us and put us back on a path that will make us Christ-like leaders of our homes, men that our wives can, can follow with joy, and that the world will take notice of a group of people who somehow have found something to make their marriages sweet. Lord, for the broken ones that are here this morning, give them hope. Might they hear that there is some answers to uh, the brokenness. And then give them, um, give them every piece of of energy and wisdom necessary to go back to the drawing board. And put together something that will be a joy to them and glorifying for you. Lord, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met this great Savior of ours, the one who loved us and refused to let us go, would, um, would he be altogether lovely in all that we've done here today? And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.